welcome to League One Fun. This is Ira Jersey. We are here today with the general manager of Lansing Ignite, Jeremy Sampson, talking about everything Lansing Ignite from beginning to end, which is unfortunate. Probably the only blight on the inaugural USL League One season. Obviously, there are some things with two teams having fired their coaches and things like that, but those teams are still operating, whereas Lansing Ignite isn't. So, Jeremy, thanks very much for being on League One Fun. My pleasure, Ivan. Thanks for having me. So, why don't we start at the beginnings? Originally, you founded Lansing United, which was a fourth division team. Uh, you played in the NPSL, if, if uh, I have that correct. And what, what made you want to start that, uh, that enterprise? Uh, yep, that's absolutely right. 2014, uh, we were admitted into the NPSL. Um, you know, I, I was a, a sportscaster here in town for almost 20 years. I have been heavily involved in, in sports in our community. Uh, and there have been iterations of minor league baseball, hockey, uh, football, basketball in Lansing, but nobody had ever really done soccer. There was a, a half a season that a team had back in the mid-90s called the Lansing Locomotive, uh, as far as soccer was concerned. But nobody had really dipped their toes into that water. And as I did research about uh, youth soccer players in our area and how those numbers were growing and the number of adults that were playing. Uh, I wanted to take the temperature and Lansing to see if there was would be an interest in, in having um, minor league or in this case, fourth division uh, soccer. So that's how, that's how it got started. Um, I have a, a passion for the game. I grew up in a very small town and a lot of people assume that I played at a very high level and that, that wasn't the case, but uh grew to have a great appreciation for the game and and love it uh followed the u.s men's national team very closely um and and liverpool in the in the english premier league so um i became a van uh, very very quickly and and wanted to see uh what things would look like in lansing if we started a team so once you started that team how did you you know firstly get the infrastructure in place and um, and then ultimately recruit players. So, so take me through that process of actually starting a minor league team. You know, I know there's a number of other places that you can go. For example, the Stockade, that who you know they, they basically laid out from beginning to end how they started their their team. Talk to me a little bit about how you got your facilities, how you wound up doing marketing and and recruiting players. I think uh, the first thing that should be noted is in, in those days, and I'm not familiar with what the NPSL structure is right now, but in order to even be admitted to a league, uh, it was put to a vote of the members of whatever conference you were joining. And so it wasn't like you turned in your business plan and there was a commissioner sitting in some office who said yes, no, maybe, those kind of things. Um, the business plan was vetted, and um, I owe the ownership group at Detroit City um, a ton of, of gratitude for helping me. Um, I spent a lot of time with them and picking their brain and understanding what they did to get started a couple of years prior. And they were so gracious as to share so much information with me. And then in turn, when it was time for that vote, um, because of those discussions, they understood uh, that this was something in Lansing that could be viable. And they really went to bat for me and the organization in order for us to get started. Um, once we were approved, uh, I knew that the, the biggest thing as far as recruiting players is going to be get a, a quality head coach. Uh, so we hired Eric Rudland, um, who is currently the coach of AFC Ann Arbor, 
uh, in the NPSL, and he was with us for two years. And uh, Eric um, is a terrific coach and really kind of helped set the stage for us in year number one as far as recruiting players. Um, I'll never forget during our open tryout, um, he spent a lot of time talking to this young man who was about five foot seven, a hundred and nothing. And I was kind of looking around the field going, why is he spending so much time talking to this young man? Um, then he jumped on the field and ran by everybody, uh, continuously. Um, it was Tyler Pasher, who's now with, uh, Indy 11, um, was with, uh, sporting Kansas city for a cup of coffee. Um, but Tyler was with us in 2014 and I, I still think there are some right backs in the NPSL who played in 2014 who wake up having nightmares because he just continuously ran by people. Um, but Nate, um, uh, Eric did a great job of, uh, recruiting great players and, and that helped us get to the final four in the NPSL in our first year. Um, and so we had success on the field with true fans. The corporate side it was a little bit tougher. Uh, we had six corporate sponsors in our first year, and uh, I owe a, a debt of gratitude to all of them because I was selling them an idea. I was selling them air. I didn't have attendance numbers to show to them. I didn't have a lot of data that I could show uh, to why they should spend their marketing dollars with um, a brand new fourth division soccer team. Um, so we, we built that following um, marketing-wise from uh, the ground up with very little budget uh, based solely on my contacts in the media and social media. And really it was a grassroots thing where we tried to garner as much um, attention as we could. Uh, we found a couple of guys who wanted to start our supporters group, uh, the Sons of Ransom, uh, and then changed their name to the Ransom. And those guys helped kind of build our fan base. So it was a long process, but a really fun one as I look back and all the things that we went through to get started in that first year. And where did you guys play in those uh, those early years? We played at a venue called the East Lansing Soccer Complex, uh, which is a city-owned facility here in, in East Lansing, Michigan. And um, there are actually two fields within this gated area they call their championship fields. One, the only difference between the two, one has lights and one does not. Um, and each seats about 800 in, the, in their bleachers, and then there's room for – uh, people to bring lawn chairs if they wanted or blankets and sit on some grassy areas away from those three bleacher sections. Um, and in that first year, we averaged well over a thousand fans per game. Wow, that's that's great. So, so let's talk about. So you did that for about four years, and then there was this opportunity, uh, perhaps, to join a new third tier professional uh, professional ranks. How did how did that uh, that process go from the beginning of you know when you first heard about it or had the idea to the launching of what became Lansing Ignite? Well, there were some serious shifts at that time that were going on within U.S. soccer. Mainly, the NASL was folding. And when that happened, it was quite clear that the USL was going to try and stake claim to a second division uh, from the third division that they were in. And then there started to be some talk uh, about the USL also launching uh, a league in the third division to fill that void. Um, also had conversations with the folks that were starting uh, NISA at the time to talk about what they wanted to do in the third division. Um, so there were a lot of conversations taking place. And uh, what I had to do was really uh, decide which direction uh, was going to be best for the future of the club and, and where it needed to go, knowing that, uh, again, in order to join the third division, there were certain parameters of the ownership group that I did not meet personally. 
And so it was going to take uh, a partnership um, in order to to make that happen. And, and if uh, I just might say, for, for, for more on that and what those rules are, uh, please go to uh, uslnews.com, where I have an article about what it takes to be an, an ownership uh, group or an owner of uh, either first, second, and third divisions in the U.S. Yeah, there are, you know, it's, it's pretty black and white, Ira, as you know. Um, and you either meet the criteria or you don't. So that was, uh, of course, why we had to go out and, and find some uh, investors that were willing to take a look at, at taking um, soccer in Lansing from a fourth division amateur team that played for three months to a professional team that was going to play nine months. So y- you found that in- investor or a few investors and um, you know you announced that you're starting this team. What was the process like in terms of on field versus off field, because you then became the general manager, director of soccer. I, I don't remember exactly what your title was, but basically you were the sporting side of the group while there was another front office side that was supposed to do ticket sales and branding and, and all the like. So talk about how those discussions happened and how you wound up as the uh, as the uh, general manager for the soccer side of Lansing Ignite. So uh, our, our first um, conversations as far as ownership group happened with Tom Dixon, who our owner of the Lansing Olympics. And, um, you know, he had uh, access to the venue, uh, the baseball stadium in downtown Lansing, which um, uh, one of those criteria, as we mentioned, is to have a facility that had at least 3,500 seats. And and that's the only venue in Lansing other than one high school football stadium uh, that has 3,500 seats in it. And so uh, unless you were going to build something, that was, you know, the first person that you needed to talk to. And come to find out, Tom actually had some interest on his own before I even approached him, and he was actually taking a look at it himself. Um, And he could have done it, Ira, without me, Um, and I knew that. Um, So I wanted to at least have discussions and see where they were at and let him know kind of the areas that I could help. And and like you said, that was more on the soccer side. You know, he'd run the minor league baseball team here in town. Uh, They're getting ready in, in 2020 to celebrate their 25th season. So he clearly knew the market. Uh, he clearly knew um, how to market minor league sports and, and how to do that in the city. Uh, he had a track record at doing that. And so um, really the, the, the entity was, was divided, if you will, or, or divvied up where that he had a, a president in place who handled the business side uh, and I handled the soccer side of things. Um, and, and we did collaborate on hiring the front office and, and some of those things, but that was clearly kind of how things were were divided up as far as uh, structure for the front office. And then for you, you had to go out and first do a, a coaching search. And so, how did you end up finding Nate Miller and uh, and his team? So Nate was uh, my second coach with Lansing United uh, after Eric was there for two years. Uh, Nate came aboard and was with me for three years as the head coach there. Um, and I saw in that time, he was the head coach at, at Spring Arbor in Michigan, which is an NAIA school, and uh, had started to really have some success there and uh, win conference championships and take his team to the national tournament. Um, but also he was building uh, relationships with collegiate coaches and bringing in really good players to play for Lansing United. Um, in 2018, you know, we made the, the PDL playoffs and went to the Des Moines Menace and played there. Um, ironically, Brandon Fricky, who was our captain with Lansing Ignite, was playing uh, for the Menace on that day, along with 
several other former professional players. And the way that Nate prepared our team uh, for that match, uh, he was so meticulous in his planning. And, you know, we, we took them to the limit. Uh, it was a, a nil-nil draw in, in regular time. And uh, they they won in penalty kicks um, and, and advanced. But that was the one of the the first glimpses I had of understanding that Nate was ready to kind of take the next step. Um, that he was ready. He was interested in pro coaching. We had talked about that. And so um, as we started Ignite, he was at the top of my list. Uh, I didn't have the final decision on that, but he was certainly at the top of my list uh, for who I wanted to bring in as our head coach. That's great. So then you started to recruit some players, obviously a, a number of Lansing United players, but others as well. What type of training and you know logistical support did you get from either the league or other teams as they were starting up as far as negotiating contracts and the like? Um, so you know how how did that process go early on when you were you know starting to form uh, form a roster? Well, it's, it was a very new process, obviously, as, as we didn't go through that on the amateur side. So there was a lot of support from the league and understanding uh, what a contract looked like and um, what boxes needed to be checked in order for that contract to be fully fulfilled from the club standpoint and also the player standpoint. Uh, so the league provides a, a ton of support uh, in order for especially new clubs to, to go through that for the first time. So they were very, very helpful. Um and Nate and I really had a process where um, you know, he did uh, the recruiting of the players, and, and he knew, uh, obviously, he has a very distinct style uh, that he likes to play the game, and it's it's unique and it's different, as you saw this year, Ira, than, than many other uh, teams, in the U- not just in USL League One, but in professional soccer in this country. Um, there are not a lot of people that, that play like he does. And so he was targeting specific players that fit his system. And that was important to him, and understandably so. So as he went through and identified these players, um, he was able to uh, then work with us in our, our, our budget that we had for player salaries. Um, it's one of those things where you get the whiteboard out, you start plugging in players and salaries and understanding you know, how you're going to make everything fit. Um, you throw in the, the seven international spots that any one individual team uh, receives and, and that throws another wrinkle into how you're going to structure your team and, and put it together. So out of curiosity, and I'm, I'm not looking for specific numbers or anything like that, but did you have an idea about what other teams were doing as far as their wage budget for, for players, or was that something that was you know basically only set team by team? Yeah, we, we really didn't. Um, I mean, the league kind of gave us a, an idea, but again, there's no salary cap, so uh, each individual club is able to spend you know, whatever they want. You started to hear some things through the grapevine as to what some te- other teams might be doing, but we'd never in Lansing let um, that affect you know, what we were going to do. We knew what our business model was. We knew what our budget was. Um, and at the end of the year, we actually came in well under what that budgeted number was for player salaries. So uh, just one more question about players, and then I'd like to talk briefly about the season before we get to the end of the, the, the season. 
Elma Enfor, when's the first time you heard about him? And, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, for me, he was one of the one of the stories of the year. So this was a player who he went on, he played in, in you know, was playing on Sunday men's leagues, had played Division II soccer in college, winds up going on trial at the Charlotte Independence, spends preseason there, winds up getting cut, really has nowhere to go, was expecting to play soccer at Charlotte. And but somehow or another, he wound up on your books. So how did how did you find out about him? And and what was that process getting him up for a trial and uh, and, and thinking about getting him on the team? That was a relationship that Nate had with the coaching staff at the Charlotte Independence. And um, as we were looking for additional forwards to join our roster, you know, they talked about Elma and said that they just didn't have a spot for him. And um, Nate invited him up on trial. Uh, as he did, uh, as we did with many different players, as we were kind of formulating um, our entire roster. And so Elma was one who came up uh, with no guarantee whatsoever, uh, whatsoever, other than, you know, we'd like to see what you can do. And it was the case really of a young man taking an opportunity and making the most of it. Um, you're not supposed to root as the general manager for players you're not supposed to get you know too attached because there is a a business side to this and and I would like to think that I had really good relationships with all the players on the team um Elma's a special person he's a really good soccer player Ira but he's a special person um the things that he did in our community the way he connects with young people old people um the way he connects with people in general is is something special um, you know, he's a motivational speaker. Uh, he speaks on bullying and other topics. Um, he, I told him, uh, tongue in cheek that, uh, my next step in my career, I wanted to be his agent because <laughs> I think he's, I think he's that talented that he could do a lot of different things. So, uh, but on the soccer side, once he got here, it was, it was up to him to, to show. And during our preseason matches and during our training sessions, um, he took full advantage of the opportunity and showed that he was somebody who could who could play at this level. Now, with that being said, as we started the season, you know, he was not on the top of the depth chart and, and wasn't starting. Um, and then you fast forward into a place where he was given an opportunity during the season, and he took full advantage of that. And, and once he asserted himself uh, or was given the opportunity in the starting lineup, he asserted himself and never left. <laughs> which again is uh, to his credit. So, you know, your season started, you had a decent start to the season, not, you know, not great, had some losses in there. And then come the summer, you end up going on, I don't even remember what it was now. Was it a 12-game unbeaten run, I think? You, you didn't lose from, from the last weekend of June. You didn't lose again until the last weekend of the season. Um, so that, you know, basically three months on unbeaten run. Talk to me about, you know, how the players and you from the soccer side kept those players motivated and, you know, not necessarily, you know, maybe getting some swagger, but at the same time not getting too cocky that, you know, they could beat anyone out there, which, of course, they did. I, I think early in the year there were a couple of things. So, again, we're talking about a, a style of play that Nate likes to, to utilize that not many of our players had ever been in before. Some of our Lansing United players had had a taste of it, but this was a whole different level of what he was trying to accomplish. So the the style of play was different for most of the guys, and that took some time for them to get used to. We also had a group of primarily first-time pros. And so 
I don't think it was fair to expect them to just go out to start the season and just start to steamroll everybody. <laughs> when you put those things, two things together, there's a, there's a process, there's a learning process that anybody has to go through in a, a new profession or a new environment uh, to kind of feel comfortable. And it really took us until that game in June in Madison. Um, I think that was the first sign of really, you know, we had, we had been giving up a lot of goals and, and we were able to go on the road at a tough venue against a very tough opponent, get a clean sheet, you know, find a way to nick a goal. Uh, Nick Moon scored a terrific goal in that game. And, um, you know, we were able to come away with a victory. And I think that result really kind of started to catapult our guys. And, and they had some, some serious belief in our system at that point. And we really took off from there. So it was a learning process in the beginning for sure. And then once everybody really kind of started to come together, as you mentioned, the team just really started to continually improve um, throughout the season until probably the last two or three weeks where uh, we really looked like we just kind of hit the wall. So let's uh, talk about that. So you make the playoffs, coming second in the league. Um, you know, North Texas obviously was the runaway winner. Um, but even in, uh, toward the very end of the season, you had Greenville Triumph and uh, John Hork's team starts to catch up to you guys. Even the last game of the season, if you lost and they won, they would have been propelled into second and hosted that first home game. But in, at the end of the day, you both wind up losing on, on decision day, we'll call it, for lack of a better term. Then you wind up at home against Greenville, the second best offensive team in the league, a team that likes to, to press and do the, the, that Nate Miller style that you have been alluding to the entire match against the best defense in the league. And they keep you to a uh, scoreless and they wind up nicking one and, and win. What were the conversations like after that, what must have been a gut-wrenching loss uh, at home in front of your fans, and, and perhaps you knowing that, you know, the end of the team was near as well. So how, how, did, how did those conversations go, you know, before it was public that the, uh, that, that the team was going to be no more? Uh, well, they were, they were difficult discussions. Um, again, the, the players weren't aware, and so there weren't any discussions there. Uh, the coaching staff was aware. I was aware. Um, so uh, I've had the opportunity to be in many locker rooms after difficult defeats. And that was as emotional of a locker room as I've ever been in. Um, you know, Nate spoke to the team and uh, really applauded them for their efforts all year long. And um, of course, we were all very disappointed because uh, the ultimate goal was to, to win the championship. And we weren't going to be able to do that. After he spoke, he gave each individual player an opportunity um, to talk to the room, um, talk to their teammates, and um, it was it was very emotional. Um, the the bonds that these players uh, made with one another and did so in a very short period of time uh, was very impressive. Um, didn't really maybe expect that from a professional locker room. It was actually built more like a college locker room with the camaraderie, but uh, these guys all came together and and played for uh, the crest on the front of their shirt, not the name on the back. Um, they were terrific in, in every way on the field, in the community, uh, and really built bonds that they will carry through, I know, and friendships for a lifetime. Um, so those conversations were, were certainly not easy, um, and that's a, a moment in time that I know I will take with me for a long, long time. 
now let's get to unfortunately less pleasant uh, time period. So you alluded to that you knew by the last game of the season before the players were made aware that the team was going to stop operations at the end of the season. When did you first have that inclination and how did you uh, how did you get it? Was it you know how long before that uh, final playoff game did you have a, have an idea that the team was in trouble? Uh, I had an idea a couple months before that. Um, you know, there were some things going on in the front office that, um, you know, were were not really, um, you know, positions weren't being filled if a, a staff member left. Um, we had discussed what uh, season tickets would be like um, and when we would start selling those packages for the 2020 season, and that was put on hold and never really executed. And so those type of things you look at and, you know, you have to scratch your head and and, um, and wonder what's going on. Um, and so some questions, you know, had to be asked about what the future was going to be. And, um, you know, eventually uh, I was given the news about what the future of the club would be. Um, and at that point, you know, I uh, was told that the decision was made by Tom Dixon, the owner of the organization. And as you know, any owner is the ultimate decision maker. Um, so for Lansing Ignite, that responsibility rested with Tom. Um, it was devastating to hear the fact that we were not going to continue after one season and to know that something that I spent six years building uh, was now gone. And, uh, you, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to give the details, but I know there must have been some choice words mentioned, and uh, we're, we're n we don't have an explicit tag on this podcast like Capital Combustion does that I know you spent a couple of hours talking to those guys, um, and their show will be out uh, probably before this one is. What was the, the tone like in the locker room when uh, the players were told that the, the, that, that the club was folding? I mean, I mean, presumably a lot of those players might not have come back anyway but presumably some of them were hoping to get re-signed and maybe even sold. Um, you know, that's a potential revenue source that was left completely unexplored, obviously. Um, so what, what's your, you know, what was the tone like there in, in that locker room at that moment? A lot of shock and surprise, um, disappointment. Um, you know, there, there was, you know, some anger, mainly from some of the veteran players who have either seen this before or been through it. But again, for a lot of first-year pros, uh, I don't even think that this thought even ever crossed their mind that this could even be a possibility, uh, that the club would just spend one season in existence. Um, so the, the, yeah, we just saw a lot of guys kind of walking around just in shock um, at, at the news that we had just given them. And who, who presented that, uh, the news to the players? Was that, was that your job or was that the job of someone in the front office? Uh, Nick Greaser, the president, delivered that news. All right. And uh, so this news came out. It uh, you know was not supposed to be made public until after the final was made official on Monday after the uh, USL League One final was held down in Frisco, uh, Texas. Um, but, you know, as soon as you tell, you know, Tom Clancy used to have a saying that the, uh, the chances of a secret being kept is the uh, – um, 
is the uh, square of the number of people that know it. So obviously you told 20 people, so therefore there's a 400% chance that it was going to get leaked um, <laughs> under, under that. So what? Um, so, so we all found out about it at that time. Um, you, you know, a, a number of players were very vocal about it. Um, what has what what have you done, and have you been in touch with any of the players about what their futures are, are going to hold? Because obviously, some of your players, if they're not in League One, some of them were probably going to get looks by the champ teams in the championship or even MLS. I think it was an important that. Um you know, we do everything that we could to, to help the players uh, advance to find a new club. I know Nate has been uh, heavily involved in helping players get some trials here at the end of the season. Um, and, and that's what we told them we wanted to do. We would do anything in our power uh, to help them find a new club. And whether that meant, you know, the proper paperwork that we needed to take through, uh, take care of through the league, uh, that uh, they knew that they were essentially free agents that all that would be taken care of and that they could start that process uh, as quickly as they could to try and find a new home. Um, so again, this was something that was out of our control, but we wanted to do whatever we could to, to help them as quickly as possible. Um, so, and, and finally, we're getting to the end of, end of the time here. Um, you know, what, what's in your future? What are you looking to do now? Are you looking to stay in soccer or pivot back to uh, the private sector? Because obviously Lansing United, I'm sure, was not a full-time job and was more of a labor of love um, than it was anything else. So are, are you looking to stay in soccer or are you going to maybe go back to the private sector? That's exactly how I described it. It was a labor of love. You hit the nail right on the head. Whenever anybody asked me what, what it was, that's exactly how I described it. Um, even with the Ignite forming, um, I had started a women's team in the UWS under the Lansing United umbrella uh, back in 2018, so we just completed our second season. Uh, that team will stay intact. Um, I have a, a daughter who's going, uh, who's a sophomore in high school. Uh, I started that team so that she could understand that she would have the same opportunities that, that boys have to play at higher levels in the summer. Um, and so that's not going to go away. Um, I do need to find uh, a full-time job. And so what the future holds for myself and for a Lansing United men's team uh, is still very much up in the air. Uh, I haven't had a chance yet to really sit down with our supporters. As you mentioned, I, I recorded the podcast, but really want to sit down with the group as a whole. I know they have some ideas of, of ways that they might want to see a club start or move forward. Um, and this in no way has to be just what I would like to see happen. Um, you know, it really needs to be, I think, uh, a group effort here in Lansing. There are so many people that are passionate about the sport. And I really think that if we can find a way to get everybody involved and um, really pulling down the rope in the same direction, that we could uh, do something else. What that looks like, Ira, I just don't know yet. Jeremy Sampson, the former general manager of the former USL League One team, Lansing Ignite. Thank you very much for being on League One Fun on this not very uh, fun topic. Well, again, I know it's a difficult discussion, but appreciate uh, you having me on. And again, everything that you've done to promote uh, the USL, specifically USL League One, uh, throughout the season. And, and hopefully we can stay in touch. Thanks very much.